Well, hey there, City Gators and friends. Uh, my name is Vic. I'm going to be speaking today. Uh, today is Friday morning for me. I think it's Sunday morning for uh, most of you, uh, whether you are at a watch party uh, or whether you are watching this online. Um, and I'm currently sitting in the Waypoint. Um, I know the backdrop is slightly different, but uh, some of you may not know that we as a church, uh, our office is actually based inside this sort of co-work space uh, community center. Um, and this has been an amazing week. The, the high school just around the corner, uh, they back uh, um, in full swing. And so we've had some students come through here. Uh, and of course, just uh, people in the community are walking in and enjoying this space. So I thought it'd be good for me to just uh, do our sermon uh, today uh, uh, with this as our backdrop, as a reminder to you, City Gators, that this is not just for our community, but also obviously for our church. Uh, our family, and so if you need to get out the house uh, or um, uh, work, uh, you know, on the road, um, or you're just driving by, don't forget to stop by here and say hi. Uh, there's opportunity, obviously, not just to see us here as staff, but but to even engage with other people here in this street. Um, and of course, our watch parties, one of them, happens uh, here at the Waypoint as well. Not inside, the kids would be kind of where I'm sitting right now, but uh, right now we're still gathering outside under some shelters, um, which has been really amazing. Uh, and we've also, uh, you know, kind of put uh, our, our series, we, we're preaching through the books of uh, First and Second Peter. We finished First Peter and we put that on hold for a little while. And so every week there's kind of one-off sermons and uh, contributions that take, is taking place. And today I'm going to be speaking out of Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, I'm going to go through 16 verses, but I'm going to break them up. We're going to read a few verses, chat a little bit, read a few verses and chat some more. And so if you have your Bibles with you, uh, do turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, but obviously these words will be up on the screen as well. So I'm going to read the first three verses of this chapter and then we'll chat a little bit. Oh, and by the way, uh, if there's a title to today's message, it would be uh, Unity and Maturity. Unity and Maturity. So here we go. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's, let's pause there for a moment. Um, I'm also just going to quickly pray uh, before we tackle these verses. So, Father, we thank you for this, uh, this beautiful day, uh, this opportunity to, again, uh, look at your words, look at your word. And we invite your Holy Spirit to come and speak to us through these words. Would you use me um, as your mouthpiece as well uh, as I teach through these, these verses? I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So uh, right off the, the front, the first point I want to make is that our conduct follows our calling. I don't know if you noticed here, but uh, Paul was saying, uh, therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you. Um, and, I, and I just think about my personality. You know, if I want to uh, kind of get people to do something, sometimes I could, I could guilt trip them a little bit, you know, saying, come on, look at me. Look at, look at what I'm going through. You, you, you can do it as well. Or don't you think you could do better? Um, and so Paul here yeah, is a prisoner. He's writing from Rome. Um, and, and he does not try and motivate these people to live differently on the, on the basis of him being in prison. Um, he doesn't play that card. He actually refuses to go there. I love that. Um, but he rather moves very quickly to the calling that they have received as Christians. And he says, you know, I, I know I'm a prisoner, but I urge you not on the basis of me being in prison. 
I want to urge you on the basis of you being called, you being set free. Not, not on the basis of me being in change, but on the basis of you being out of change, you being set free. Um, and he's, he's basically making the point, he says, I'm so serious about this message of the calling that you've received, the salvation that you've received as a Christian, that I'm willing to be imprisoned for it. I mean, if he's going to talk about being imprisoned, that's probably what he's trying to say. It's like, I'm in chains because of this freedom that I've experienced in uh, Jesus. He's in change because of the one who breaks chains. Um, and so uh, he, he carries on now to, to urge them, not on the basis of his, his, uh, his in, imprisonment, uh, but he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And that's, that's what I mentioned. The conduct in our Christian life uh, always follows our calling, our salvation, because only in Jesus can we live in the ways in which Paul is encouraging the Ephesian church? Uh, outside of Jesus, it's a very heavy burden to bear. It's very difficult to do. But once we're in Christ, and, and, and in, in chapter 2 of this letter, he tells the, the readers that you have been seated in, with Christ in heavenly places. So there's the sense that there's an accomplishment of what Christ has done for you causes you to sit and rest in what he did for you, dying on the cross uh, for your sins in your place and then giving you the spirit as a result uh, to empower you to live uh, free, to empower you to live uh, from this place of being forgiven. Um, and so in many ways, he's saying, I want you to walk, but I want you to only walk uh, because you are already sitting, you know, uh, don't walk out your faith in order to be in seated with Christ. No, you are already seated with Christ. And so walk out your faith because actually we can't earn our salvation. We don't do what he's saying. Be humble, be gentle, be patient. We don't do those things so that we could be seated with Christ. No, up front, he, he, he paid the debt and he's done all the work and credited us with his righteousness. And so we sit in that and then we find ourselves living in, 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 out of that place. It's quite amazing. And so every Christian has been called. That's one of the things that stands out for me. Every single Christian has been called, but not everybody walks in it. Certainly not everybody walks worthily in it, which is, which is what he's saying. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you received. And so the second point uh, is that uh, is one of, of company. We've got company. So he's, he's talking about how to walk as a believer, and he's obviously making the point that it's not a lonely walk. It's not a, it's not a lonesome road. He says, walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, this poem that someone wrote, you know, footprints on the sand. Uh, that's often on the on the on a you know on a fridge or, or mounted in in a home, you know, as a, as a, as a piece of art, uh, which really speaks of these sort of two footprints in the sand and then eventually there's just one set of footprints and, you, and, and a person saying, you know, the other one was your feet, Lord, but now there's only one set of footprints. Where are you? And, and you know, the poem goes, well, actually, those are my footprints. I've, I've been carrying you uh, through the hard times. And although there's some truth in that, I, I would say that um, it's not actually quite as serene as that I walk with Jesus. It's not just a you and Jesus thing. Uh, being a Christian is more like being on a crowded beach. 
Have you ever been on a crowded beach before? Certainly, uh, you know, the ocean. Uh, so I know you guys are familiar with lakes and cottage time, but uh, where there are often quite a few private beaches. But a public beach is more like what the Christian walk is like. You know, you're out there, uh, you've got your little piece of, of sand. You know, often there's gusts of wind and the sand is blowing in your face and kids are playing around you and they're kicking, you know, soccer balls and beach balls around and people are walking over your towel uh, and there's seagulls trying to steal your, your food. And it's just, it's actually not, not a very serene sort of footprints in the sand kind of moment. It's sort of a bit of, bit of a wild, like, you know, you've got sunblock on you and, and, uh, and the sand sticks to you and, and people are inconsiderate around you. Uh, it's, it's kind of noisy. You know, you have a party on the one side and they're playing their music loud uh, and you have kids on the other side and, they, you know, they, they're going crazy around you. That, that's sometimes what the Christian walk feels like, is that you're not on your own. Uh, that you're on this beach and you have to learn to coexist. You have to learn to, to get on with one another, to be, as he says, you're humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another in love. So a reminder to you, this is, uh, you know, Christianity is not a you and Jesus thing. It's a little more crowded than that. And these verses are proof of that. And it's, he's not just saying tolerate one another, just bear with one another. He says bear with one another in love. And so, our, you know, it's not just like, okay, well, let's just grit our teeth and get through this life. No, it's, it's, it's far more uh, loving and engaging, uh, far more than tolerance for, for sure. And so in verse 3, he, he tells us that, that as we bear with one another, we must be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And so that's why. It isn't like a tolerating. It, there's, a, there's, a, there's an intentional working towards maintenance of unity. So I want to make this clear. He's saying maintain the unity. So again, we're seated in Christ. And then based on you know, our position in Christ, justified, forgiven, um, we walk out our life, our sanctification. Um, and, and it's the same here. When that happens, that seated moment is actually one where he un unifies us. He, he brings us together. And, and we must be careful that, that we don't threaten that unity, which is up front, in place already. He's, brought, he's unified us with the Father, Jesus, and he's brought us together to one another. Um, and so we don't aim, ultimately, to create unity in the church. Actually, that's what Jesus does. Uh, we maintain unity. And as we read, he'll talk about one body, uh, you know, like, like a body that needs to be in unity. We simply have to live out this unity. And, uh, and I think that's incredible. You know, Ephesians chapter 2, so two chapters before what we've read over here, um, he talks about, you know, Jew and Gentile uh, being reconciled, you know. But we could probably add to that. You know, we think of, of, uh, of, our, of our society that we live in, um, black and white. We think about liberals and conservatives. We think about the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Uh, there are all these categories of people. And in the church, we need to display peace between all of these groups. Actually, only in the church of Jesus should it be quite obvious that there's reconciliation has, has taken place and that we fight for that state of, of being reconciled. It's not an option for us as believers because this unity, as Jesus said, you know, the way that we love one another is a witness to a watching world. So as the world around us, we know it's growing more and more divided. I just threw a few categories out there moments ago. You know how contentious those subjects are. I tell you, the world is watching how we respond from vaccinations to politics and everything in between. The world is looking at us. What do we look like and how do we behave uh, in this culture that is clearly drawing very, very distinct lines in the sand. 
us as a community, as a church, under Jesus should not look like the culture. We should say we've been united in Christ to the Father and to one another, and we maintain that unity. And so here at City Gates, I want to say to you, we're going to work very hard. We're not going to draw these hard lines in the sand. We're a church that is open uh, to anybody, regardless of which political line you're on or on which side of vaccinations you're sitting on. For us as a church, we're not going to turn people away on the basis of those things. We're about a reconciliation, a reconciliation that we've received in Jesus that we want to extend to a watching world. And so, uh, yeah, let's, let's keep reading. Uh, from verses 4 to 6. Let's read that together now. He says, This unity happens. Why? Because there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so he's, he's making this point that the reason why we should act in unity is because of the Trinity. So the third point is unity like the Trinity. Our unity comes from a, 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 the, the Trinity, this triune God, you know, three, three persons, one God. I know it's a mystery, but there is unity there. The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father, but the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, there is one God, there's three persons. You, this, is, this is our theology of the Trinity. This is what the Scripture screams at us. And because of this unity in the Trinity, we as the, the children of our God we, we can and must display unity. Just like there is just one God, three persons, just like there is just one gospel, but one body, a, a, a diverse church, Just like there's one way to salvation, not multiple ways of salvation. Everybody gets to the Father through Jesus, the door, through the grace and mercy that's offered to us, not through merits and good works. That's religion, the gospel, something else. There's one way to salvation. There's one body. There's one God. Therefore, there shouldn't be a fractured church. If there's unity in the Trinity, if there's unity in, uh, uh, in, in in the gospel, if there's, you know, all this unity that we look at, there should be unity in the church, not a frag- fragmented and a fractured church. But it's amazing. That doesn't mean that every single member of this church is exactly the same. Unity does not mean uniformity. Um, as we've seen with the Spirit, the, 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 the Lord Jesus and the Father, as it's mentioned in the Scripture. Um, so verse 7, if we carry on reading, says, uh, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so it's speaking about these gifts, these grace gifts that's been given to us. And again, must make the distinction. This is not talking about saving grace, that everybody gets a different way of being saved. No, there's one gospel. This is speaking about serving grace, that actually once you've been saved, seated with Christ, you, your, 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 um, your conduct follows your calling. You've been called by Jesus and then you live out different, through different gifts. So, so the serving graces is given by Jesus, you know, the, the ultimate gift of salvation to us. And then through Jesus, he gives a diverse set of gifts to his people. And that's the, where the miracle comes in is everybody has got different gifts, but yet we display unity. And, and so there's not uniformity, there is unity, but there's this beautiful diversity of gifts, you know, that happens to each one of us. Again, that means you, if you're a believer, you've been given a gift by Jesus. And, uh, and he wants you to live it out. He wants you to serve using that. And so verses 8 to 10, he says, uh, Therefore, 
Um, it says, when he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. He's quoting Psalm 68 there. I might mention what that means in a moment. Um, in verse 9, he explains it, but he says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Um, and so, you know, he's just making a point here that that Jesus came from heaven. That is kind of his, his main argument. He's like, what you know, if you speak about ascended into heaven, it does, must mean that he descended as well. And so this is speaking of the incarnation, Jesus uh, becoming flesh, God becoming flesh. And in Psalm 68, it uses the metaphor as well of, of God being a victor. Uh, and often when someone marches out in, in, in victory, they've won a battle, uh, they receive gifts. You know? But he's making a point here that Jesus is so good that he's not the one that just kind of takes gifts. He shares his gifts. He shares his spoils with his people. That's what he's saying. He gives these gifts. Again, an emphasis on salvation that is not earned. You don't get these gifts because you live a certain way. Your, your conduct doesn't secure your calling and your gifting. It's the other way around. Your, your, your calling, your salvation, the fact that you're seated with Jesus, that he has accomplished all, that is the thing that, that uh, um, opens the door to receiving these gifts and, and empowerment to, to live out your conduct uh, in a certain way. And so Jesus is so good. You know, this victorious king, he's not, he's not taking, taking, he's just giving, giving. He's the gift that just keeps on giving. Uh, which is that the fourth point I want to make. Um, and so um, from then onwards, we move to point five, which is uh, all hands on deck. And so Ephesians chapter four, verse 11, he goes on speaking about these gifts. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Okay, so what's going on here? Paul lists these uh, five gifts, um, and they're often called the fivefold gifts. Some people uh, refer to them as the fourfold gifts because they think that, you know, pastor, teacher, in the way that the verse is mentioned here, is a kind of a, a package deal. So whether you agree with the four or the five, the fact is these are gifts. And interestingly enough, all the spiritual gifts, when they mentioned in the scriptures, um, it's always an incomplete list. So these five here is not the complete list. You can go to 1 Corinthians 12, you can go to Romans 12, um, and, uh, and there's, there's over 20 uh, gifts list, listed, depending on how you interpret these verses, uh, in the scriptures. And if you want to find out more about that, you can go to citygates.ca slash mygifts. We even have a little exercise there where you can try and figure out what the gifts are that God's given you. Um, but, but, you know, we're looking at four or five of them right now, but there is a bigger list and, you know, check out those resources to find out a little more. But what I find interesting about these gifts is that the persons themselves are listed. You know, sometimes we can separate the gift from the, from the vessel that, 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 that hosts it, that God's given it to. And so this is very, very personal. personal. He's talking about evangelist, a person that's an evangelist, a prophet, a pastor, a teacher. Um, and so we must never forget that the gifts that Jesus gives his church is given and placed inside vessels, inside people. It's a very personal thing. Um, and, and, and I want you to also see that these gifts are given by Jesus. 
they're not merely they, they, they are excuse me they are merely recognized by the church so so we don't decide who has these gifts Jesus decides who has them we just recognize it we will go ah it's obvious that's an evangelist someone who's really great at explaining the gospel and generally in the wake uh, uh, behind them people are coming to know Jesus or that person is very apostolic in other words they plant churches they they start new things they break open new grounds they, they lay foundations you know those someone's a pastor he's a shepherd is they care they love someone's a teacher they're able to explain God's word you know we we recognize these things uh, but Jesus is the one that gives those gifts and so none of them are self-appointed or self-anointed no actually uh, the fact that Jesus gives and we just recognizes uh, recognize these gifts is a safeguard to us us otherwise we we sometimes want to manufacture these things we can't do it only Jesus can and so what is interesting about these gifts is that they train others for the job. If you, if you remember anything about this point, this is what I want you to, to understand. They are not appointed or sometimes even paid. You know, sometimes you find those people on staff at a church. They, they're not even play, uh, paid to play your part at all. They are only there to prepare you for the part you should play. Let me say that again. They are not appointed or even paid to play your part for you, but they are there to prepare you for playing your part. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, I look around our kind of Western church uh, culture and, and I'd like to call it like a, a Costco style of Christianity. What do I mean by that? We have to fight that because that is where uh, you expect uh, the church to service you much like a big box store would service you, okay? Um, like at Costco, for example, uh, where you want to go less often, you know, that's why you buy so much because you don't want to just keep going every week. You want to go less often and you want to get more than you need, okay? So there's like just a take, take, take mentality and you want to pay less than you should. You want it at the best price. That has crept into the church where, the, the, you know, and, and these five gifts are there actually to fight that mentality, saying, no, 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 actually, uh, you, you, you are going to pay a bit more it's gonna, and you're going to require to be there more often um, and, and, and to, to give and not just to take. So let's fight that sort of big box store, consumerist, uh, Costco style of Christianity. Uh, and how does that happen? Well, through the gifts that Jesus gives to his church. You know, I... Um, I got Tanya um, a birthday gift two or so years ago, uh, and I made a big mistake. Again, I, I'm pretty sure I've done it before, but you know, that was a dumb year for me. I, I bought her um, a kitchen appliance for her birthday. Um, and so, of course, the way that a, a lady interprets that is saying is that you're actually not giving me a gift, you're giving me work. The gift you're giving me is requiring of me to work. I think it was a, uh, you know, a batter mixer or a food processor or something like that. I don't know. So. Clearly, on Tanya's side, she didn't really feel blessed by it. But, you know, I think about the gifts that Jesus gives to the church, and I think that's kind of how it is. He gives us gifts in order for, it's like he gives us food processes and, 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 uh, and you know, batter mixes. I'm sure there's a better word for it, uh, because he's got things for us to do uh, in order for us to build up the body, in order for us to, to strengthen his, his church. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, all of us, not just the selected few, uh, but the, the rest of you, everyone, is meant to, to work, is meant to serve, is meant to give. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, you think of a football state, stadium. So often, it's just a few players on the field playing, and everybody else, thousands, are in the stadium. And, 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 and that's sometimes what church could feel like, right? There's like this 
small amount of people that do everything and everybody else shows up, sits in a you know, static in a chair and often have very strong opinions about how things should be done, how should be played. And the church should not be like that. And he's talking about, you know, true maturity. So I, I think true maturity is actually leaving the comfort of a spectator seat and actually running onto the field, running onto the pitch and actually playing and being a participator instead of a spectator. Because Jesus is not like Pharaoh, if you, if you, you know, rewind right back to you know, the beginning pages in, uh, in Exodus, you see that Pharaoh, who enslaved the people, he said to them, I want more bricks and I'm going to give you less straw. I'm going to give you less resources. So I want your output to be higher, but the input to be lower. That's not what Jesus does. He is so good. He equips the people that he calls. He gives gifts to you so that you could get the job done. And so nobody has an excuse saying, I can't, I don't know. Go to that gift gauge online, see what gifts God's given you and start to use them because that is the maturity that we'll get to that he's talking about right now. So let's, let's carry on reading. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13 to 14 says this. Uh, until, you know, the building up of the body through these gifts to equip you to do the work. He's saying, do those things until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Again, you know, there's diversity in gifts, but we're still working towards the same goal to help people find and follow Jesus. There's unity in our diversity, unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or womanhood and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Christ. So, so he wants us to grow up. That's the next point. He wants us to mature as a result. And, and he's moving from a building metaphor. In Ephesians chapter 2, he talks about you know, the church of Jesus being like a building and you and I being like living stones, you know, playing our part. And now he's moving to a body metaphor. And he's talking about even earlier uh, about one body, you know, one gospel, one God, one body, the church. And if Jesus is, is, the, is the head of this body and he, he's the one who creates this body, of, of believers. He is committed clearly to maturing this body and he's obviously going to do that through his gifts. And so, you know, I want you to just stop for a moment and think about that. I have over this last couple of months, especially since we don't have technically a, an official venue as a church. Uh, many of you are sitting outside in the backyard or next to the waypoint right now. And, uh, and, and you know, I, I, I ask how they are doing. Sometimes I'm saying, hey, you know, we'd love to see you at one of our watch parties. And, you know, uh, even with our conversations with some of the people inside the Waypoint this week about, they say, where is your church? That is sometimes a default setting. We think church is an address. Like we used to meet at the St. Francis Center. Uh, and, and this week in particular, I had conversations with two individuals in our church um, about, you know, you know our location. Uh, and, and it was interesting because the default setting was actually, uh, when talking about our church, uh, talking more about where we are as opposed to who we are. I want you to see the subtle difference. So if Jesus talks about the church being a body, and if it's a building, it's not a physical building, it's a metaphor for you and I being living stones. It's a people more than it is a place. It's a body, and each of you are members of that body. So if you still talk about city gates in terms of where we meet, and, and in many ways say to people, we don't have a church, you, you got it wrong. We are a church. 
It's not about where we meet. It's about who we are. That's why we start our service always with these we are statements. Who are we? We are the Holy Spirit empowered servants like Jesus. We are the hospitable family of Jesus. We are disciples devoted to Jesus. We are strategic missionaries for Jesus. We are not, you know, 78 Church Street or St. Francis Center or even 90 Old Kingston Road here at the Waypoint. No, we are a group of people filled with gifts working in unity to accomplish the mission to help others find and follow Jesus. That is what a mature church looks like. And so if our church is only just about a few people doing the work and the rest showing up at a location in consuming content, we're a baby church. We're an immature church. I want to encourage you, City Gators. Change your mindset. Align it with the scriptures. Align it with Jesus' plan. It's not about where we meet. It's about who we are. So maturity looks like unity. Different gifts, different people, different perspectives coming together to make Jesus famous and to do what he asks us to do. Maturity uh, also looks like someone who's able to take Christianity into all of life. Again, if you think church is just Sunday location, a venue, you're kind of compartmentalizing your life. It's like, that's where I go to, to kind of be a Christian. No, actually, if the church isn't a location, if it's not a place we go to once a week, if it's you and me, living stones in this this metaphorical building or this, this body as members of part of a body, then every single day we're the church. And so maturity isn't just unity. Maturity is also saying that in all of life, actually Jesus is, makes, his, makes his, um, his will and his ways into, into every nook and cranny of my life. Um, and, and so whether it's finances, uh, my work, where I go to, my friendships, uh, my parenting, my citizenship as a Canadian or a South African, uh, the school I go to, the marriage that I'm in. Actually, sometimes people think maturity is when we you know, retreat into sort of these deep Bible studies, you know, or these Sunday moments. We sit under God's word and we read, read, read uh, about his word and, and we try and find deeper meanings. You know, sometimes people think maturity is that. Is the, you see things in the Bible that no one else has seen. And I want to push back a little bit saying, no, a mature Christian is somebody who doesn't retreat into the bunker for deep, deep Bible studies, but someone who every moment of the day is influenced by the Lordship of Jesus, how they raise their children, how they spend their money, what, what kind of a neighbor they are. That is what maturity looks like. That is what he's saying, to equip you for the works of service. In other words, on a Sunday, some equipping takes place so that Monday to Saturday, you get out there and you be a follower of Jesus. You live out your faith. That maturity looks like that. And so, so that we are no longer children. Verse 14, I don't know, did we read that? Um, uh, he says, yeah, let's, let's move on to, to verse 14 and 15. Uh, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Jesus. That's maturity. It's to not be kids anymore. You know kids what kids are like. Uh, kids are so easily influenced. You know, you tell them about the Easter Bunny, they believe it. You tell them about Santa Claus, they believe it. Um, uh, kids, you take them to the beach and a wave comes and they tumble over. You know, because they don't, they don't have a firm foothold. But mature people, especially some of us are more mature than others. You know, when the wave comes, you stand your ground. You don't get toppled over. 
and actually not, not, so, not so easily influenced by opinions and, and things. This, this is what the stability that a follower of Jesus should, should long to, to be. Not to be blown around, uh, around by every wind of doctrine. You know, you believe this one week, you believe that one week, or you go off this rabbit trail, you go on, then onto that rab rabbit trail, sort of these fads and, and secondary ideas as opposed to primary doctrine and theology. Um, but also, I think, uh, you know, even think about the... the, the, the the culture we live in and with the onslaught of information, so, so much of it uh, unverified, you know, fake news, um, and, uh, and, and can easily go in this direction and that direction. A Christian is someone who's steady, who, who actually does not get uh, off on, on these sort of rabbit trails, and, uh, but they stick to the main thing. Uh, and for us, it's to help people find and follow Jesus. Uh, because all of these different opinions, they actually create disunity. And what does this verse say? You must maintain the unity, uh, don't, 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 which you've already received. Keep it together, man. Uh, and so we, you know, we as mature believers should be the ones who kind of resist those contentious things um, for the sake of unity. Um, and so again, I think the warning here is that we should not be on our own, all right? Uh, uh, because he's saying, rather speaking the truth in love, okay? So, so there's got to be some relational. If someone's got to speak to you in love, saying to you, ah, actually, you know, reconsider that, or please don't make that a major issue. It's a minor issue uh, um, for the sake of our unity. Speaking the truth in love. Um, that is what helps us to mature. And so again, if you're an isolated Christian with no one around you to speak into your life, the chances are you could be an immature Christian. <laughs> Uh, because maturity comes through these gifts that God's given and through the fact that we're in a community where the truth can be spoken in love. Not only truth, um, you know, uh, truth without love can hurt us because sometimes it's too hard and love without truth can hurt us because it's too soft. And, and we know when you're on your own, you know how soft you are on yourself. That's why we need other people around us. If it's just you and Jesus, I know I'm super soft on myself. Um, I need to be in a community because others are harder on me than I am on myself. I need others to speak into my life, to warn me when I'm going off, off track a little bit, even if it's just one degree. Because one degree off for a long distance means a completely different destination. Um, and so I need people to help me make those course corrections along the way. And he talks of he's speaking the truth in love, but submitting to the head, that is Jesus. And submitting to his help, that's his leaders, that's these gifts. It is possible for us to then grow up in every way, in every way to become mature. We fast track our growth when truth is lovingly told to us. And in a community of believers is where these things happen. And so I'm hoping you're able to read in between the lines. I'm encouraging you, if you've not come out to one of our, 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 uh, our watch parties or our community groups, this is where we find ourselves in community where opportunities for these very verses are made available to us. And so um, he wants us to submit to the head. Just a quick um, uh, comment on the head, you know. The, the head is where all, all the instructions for the body comes from. Again, that's why they, if there's an isolated Christian, it's probably not a healthy Christian. You know, a Christian who's severed from, from the head uh, or a body that's severed from the head is not, is not hel helpful. Um, and of course, a member that's severed from the other members is also not helpful. Um, so we need to be connected to one another and connected to the head. But we get, uh, get all the instructions from the head. You know, I, I, some of you know I, I like to run and uh, um, I have this fancy watch that tells me my pace and my heart rate. Um, but every now and then, the encouragement is to switch this off, just to run and to listen to your body. 
Okay, so you just run and you kind of feel like, what, what are my calves feeling like right now? What's my, what's my breathing like right now? Am I tired? Am I feeling heavy? Am I flying? What's my, how am I, how? you're listening to your body. And, and in reality, you're actually not listening to your body. You're listening to your head because your head is, is the one that gets all the signals from the body and computes it and then tells you uh, how you're doing. You know, there's a cramp over here or there's, you know, maybe you need to tighten your one shoe uh, or maybe there's even a pebble in your shoe and it's creating a blister. But all of that information makes its way up into here. This is, this is what you're actually, I'm not listening to my body when I'm running like that. I'm listening to my head. And, and so this is, this is the, the, the safeguard that's built into the church is that we are listening to Jesus, the one who gives us the instructions, the one who tells us, hey, something's out of line over here. And then we, as his followers, can speak the truth in love. Sometimes we're the ones that's a little off and Jesus, the head, is telling his body, hey, you need to, you need to you know, go to that member and saying, something's up over here. You, you need to make some adjustments. This is what it means to be a part of the church, to be a part of Jesus' body with him as the head. And so let's, uh, let's read just the last verse here, verse 16, that says, uh, this, when we grow up, of course, verse 15, in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, uh, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is, is equipped. When each part is working properly, there it is, when you do your job, when you use your gift, it says when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the last point, the one of body building. So it starts in the head, that's the source, um, and, and, uh, and then it makes, you know, he, this head gets this body working properly as it should. The problem is never with the head. The problem is always with the body with us members trying to be, you know, disconnected, disunity. Uh, uh, and so, you know, let's, let's keep it together. It talks here about being joined and held together. That's the work of the Spirit, you know, the maintaining of the unity um, by every joint with which it's, it's equipped. And again, that word equipped kind of links to the fivefold ministry. And so, you know, the joint and ligaments could be the, the leaders in our community that equips us to do the work of ministry, all right? So that, that's, that's how Jesus keeps us together. And it says when each part is working properly. In other words, there's, there's, uh, there's unity under the head, but there's diversity and gifts. And, uh, and everybody plays their part. That makes the body grow. When, when, when it works, it grows. You know, and, and for us as a church, we, we look at that. When we function correctly, there'll be life, there'll be growth. Growth, of course, personally, even growth numerically as other people come to know Jesus, as they grow in their faith, confident to share it and live it out in front of others. There should be growth. This is what we look for because uh, it's a sign of life. Uh, and, uh, and life is a sign of maturity, that, that everything is working as it ought to. And I want to leave you with one last thought. Maybe, maybe this is kind of the commission moment. You know, there's no official commission uh, this week from someone else. It's going to have to be me. Um, but you know, I think it's very easy to spot disunity in a church in terms of uh, you know conspiracies, conspiracy, sorry, and speculative theology. Um, that's often where you can easily see, oh, you know, there's a bit of division over there. These people don't see eye to eye on vaccinations or they don't see eye to eye on politics. Um, and that's actually the easy one to spot. I think the difficult one to spot, the disunity in a church, is actually this invisible line between the front of the church or let's say the core uh, group of the church and the, the outer ring or the back of the church or the rest of the seats. This invisible line where there's just a few people in the front 
who do everything, who always say something, um, whose hands go up, who find themselves on serving teams. And then there's this, the rest of it that are consuming the benefits of those people pouring their lives out. I think that's another invisible separation in the local church, which we need to fight against. Um, you know, maybe, maybe it's at this stage, it's some of you who are sitting on the couch, you know, consuming the content that we as a church put together for our watch parties and for our online service, uh, but you, you're not willing to show up. There's that invisible us and them thing going on. And I want to encourage you today to, to, to fight that. He says, be eager to maintain the unity. That means maybe getting up from your couch, signing up for a serving team, showing up at a watch party. That for me is much harder to fight. Uh, and, to, and to see than the obvious disunity things that's got to do with ideas and perspectives. So let's not be a church where we have disunity in our community because some people do everything and many others do very few. Actually, that, is, that, that does not look like the church that Paul is describing. It doesn't look like the church that Jesus wants uh, to be the head of. And uh, yeah, I want to encourage you. Let's, uh, let's, let's put our hands up. Let's not just be consumers. Let's be contributors um, and, and, and be mature Christians, uh, being the saints equipped for the works of service. Um, I think that's about as much time as, as we have right now. Um, I trust that you were exhorted. It's exhortation has got a bit more teeth to it than encouragement. Of course, I want you to be encouraged, but I also want you to feel, feel an exhortation uh, from, from, from the leadership here and from these verses to, uh, to, to perhaps make some adjustments in your life so that we could be this mature church that Jesus uh, came and died for and ultimately gave or still keeps giving gifts for too. Uh, I want you to live that out to your full potential. And so let me, let me end off by praying for us. Lord, I thank you uh, for every single person, whether they're in front of a device or whether they're on a, 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 you know, on a garden chair at a watch party, in a backyard or at the waypoint. Every single person right now, even a guest, maybe even listening from afar, might not even be in Canada. I ask that every single person would be gripped by the truth of these verses and would find themselves saying yes to you, saying, yeah, I want to be in unity with your church. I want to be mature like you, Jesus. And it's gonna require me to be equipped to do the work instead of expecting others to do that. I, I pray that you would empower all of us to be those kinds of believers so that the world may look at us amazed at the unity in diversity uh, that we display as a church, as we love one another and ultimately love you. I ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.